Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus' most repeated command in the Gospels is what he says here in John 6, do not be afraid. And I think he said this because he knows how debilitating fear is to faith. Um, we so regularly deal with the struggle and strife of fear and worry, and it can consume us, it can overwhelm us. And so in perhaps one of the most dramatic passages in all of the Bible, what I'd like to do is to look at how Jesus' walking on water points to two points. First, an overwhelming darkness, and second, an overcoming Savior. So first we'll look at this overwhelming darkness. After the dramatic miracle where 20,000 people are fed from five loaves and two fish, Jesus decides with his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee to get into a boat and to go across. But as he and his disciples are getting ready to go, he decides instead to go up to the mountainside to pray. We're told this in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And then in our passage today in verse 17, John says, it was now dark. Many of us perhaps at some point in our lives have the fear of darkness. Maybe you still do today. The reality is that many evils happen when it is dark. For those of you who are married, you might have experienced this as well, that conflict in the evening is sometimes its worst. So and I have had this deal going on between us, and we have said, whatever we're going to do, we're not going to discuss serious issues late at night. Uh, we've had the misfortune of doing that, and sometimes that has led to some very big conflict. There's something about darkness and night that so often leads to all sorts of oppressions and despairs and hopelessness. Domestic violence happens most at night, and so police are so often called in at that time. For those of you who follow sports, those athletes who get into trouble, it's because they are out after midnight. Usually around 2 a.m., that's when serious things happen. There's this ominous oppression in the midst of darkness. The Bible describes darkness this way as well. When Job was going through his trials, he says this, but when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. Paul says of Christians in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Whenever you see darkness in the Bible, 
Usually, it refers to something foreboding, to something ominous and evil. In verse 17 of our passage today, John records for us, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And I know we should take this literally and physically because it is about the evening, the darkness. And it is true that Jesus had not yet come because he was in the mountainside. But I think we can take that concept spiritually as well. That is to say that when it was dark, Jesus was not there. And that's essentially what we want to consider. When Jesus is not present, darkness reigns, and there's a consequence to that. Verse 18, we're told literally and physically what happens in the midst of Jesus not being present and their darkness. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And so often is the case spiritually that when there is spiritual darkness, it's often followed by difficult circumstances of all forms. If you've ever walked into a home and perhaps sensed darkness, I've had the, I don't know if you would call it a privilege, but I've had, I've had the privilege of walking into homes for counseling in the middle of conflict between husband and wife and you feel the darkness. There's a sense of it, a foreboding oppression. Depression can often feel this way. Sometimes it, it feels like this dark fog that just does not let up and light cannot penetrate that type of darkness. And perhaps some of you in this room have experienced that. When Jesus encounters the disciples on the sea, I think it's important to note that he allows them to go ahead without him. That's not something that happens with him not knowing what's going to take place. He knows a storm is going to come. He's the one who bring, ultimately can bring about storms. So he could have put his disciples into a position where there was no storm. But instead, quite the opposite. He knows the storm is coming, and he decides not to get into the boat. Every Christian has since has experienced this in some form or another. You might perhaps think that Jesus doesn't love you because he allowed you to enter into the storm to enter into trial, to suffering, to darkness. But it's exactly the opposite, and it's what I want to focus on today. It's this idea that Jesus enters into our lives in the midst of the troubles and the storms and the strife. He doesn't separate himself from it. He dives deep in with you. And it's that reality that we can see Christ in the center of our storms that we actually see Jesus clearer than ever. There's a hymn written by Edward Moat called On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And it reads like this, When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Jesus is our anchor in the storm. Hebrews describes it this way in Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I just finished a book called The Wager, and it's not about gambling, it's not about betting, but it's about a ship called The Wager from the 1700s, a British man of war that was going to try to capture a Spanish galleon ship filled with all sorts of gold. And so they sent it out from, uh, from the shores of the of England, going across the Atlantic Ocean down towards the Straits of Magellan south 
of uh, Argentina near Patagonia. And in that one particular area, it is considered to be one of the most dangerous seas of all because there you have the union of the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So many boats at that time period were dashed against the rocks and lives lost. So this story is all about this one ship that also gets dashed against the rocks, many lives lost. You should be thankful that you did not live in the 1700s on a ship. It is a miserable existence. But when you read that story, you can just imagine how significant these men would have um, had of having an anchor that so secured their ship that no matter how great the waves, which were about 100 feet high, that they would still be able to withstand the storms. And that's what Hebrews is telling us, is that Jesus is that anchor in the midst of the most violent and vicious of storms. He is faithful to the end. And so you can turn to him. He will keep you safe. You can run to him. You do not need to hide. You do not need to shirk in fear. You can trust that he is faithful to you. So when those times when darkness comes, and they will come, if you've never experienced it today, you will one day, you will be tempted to feel very alone, misunderstood. Darkness leads to cynicism, pessimism, mistrust. You can sense darkness when you hear a person and you hear the spewing forth of negativity. There's never hope. Everything's negative, everything's critical, everything's judgmental, everything's antagonistic. Sometimes this type of darkness leads to a despair. No matter how much you speak truth, you show them the picture of reality, they can't see it. They've been covered by the fog of darkness and depression and sorrows and grievings. And so they are quick perhaps to believe in lies, even their own lies of their own soul. There's no hope. Life seems unfair, and it is. Life seems unjust. We're always misunderstood. This person, and perhaps you've been there, we use words like always and never. I'm always misunderstood. You're never good to me. You never understand me. I, I find that those two words, always and never, used in a conflict, those are lies. Because it is pretty much impossible to be always something or never something in one's life. But one thing you know is that when a person is in the midst of darkness, you know what they do not want to hear? God's word. They don't want to hear truth. And I want to encourage you and exhort you today to tell your loved ones around you and to say, if I am ever in the midst of darkness, even if I say, I don't want you to preach to me. And maybe you've said that because someone spoke the Bible and said, I don't want to hear that. Just stop preaching to me. I want you to commit today to say, if I am in darkness or despair, even if I say, don't do it, I want you to do it. I want you to say God's word to me, truth, even if it's out of wrong motives. Because that's exactly what we need to hear. But that's what you will run away from when you're in the midst of darkness, is truth. The, the shining spotlight, the lighthouse of God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it is exactly what we need to hear, but yet we run away from it. Because that's what darkness does. 
it keeps us enfolded into ourself, our own perspective, our own paradigm. And we don't want to hear anyone else's voice but our own. That's a deception. That's a self-deception. And it actually clouds your heart and hardens your soul. It's not just darkness that we need to be concerned about, but it's the consequences of darkness. It's the circumstances that follow darkness. In John chapter 6, the storm rages, waters ebb and flow, and toss the ship to and fro, up and down. Again, I don't think this is simply about the physical. It is about the physical. It is a physical storm. The disciples are experiencing something actually happening to them physically. But John doesn't just include this story just for our own enjoyment and benefit, but he wants to show us what is happening here spiritually even. And we see this story time and time again all throughout the Bible. All we need to do is just go back to the story of Jonah and you see the same story. There we see a ship as well. Jonah, due to his own self-centeredness, his own bigotry, he refuses to preach to Nineveh and his refusal to trust in God, he runs away, goes on to a ship. There's a storm. And so Jonah knows why the storm is there. And so he says to the sailors, just throw me overboard. Once you do, everything will be okay. And so he's thrown overboard. He's swallowed up by a big fish. And this is what he says inside of it. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. For Jonah, once he ran away from God, once he turned away from his will, darkness covered him literally and figuratively. Waves pummeled him, and he was overwhelmed with fear and darkness, and he knew that to be the case. Your temptations to be afraid, to worry, they're coming every day. Perhaps for some of us, I think John Piper describes, sometimes he wakes up and it feels like Satan is sitting on his face. I mean, it feels oppressive. You've perhaps experienced the weight. Sometimes it almost feels physical. I've, I've had many conversations with all sorts of people and they say they've laid in bed and suddenly they can't get up. They can't even talk. They feel this darkness, this oppression. And I want to tell you that that's actually not so uncommon. You're not strange. You're not weird. But that is the power of darkness. It can physically impact you, bind you, make you feel as though you're helpless and you're hopeless. And what darkness does is it makes you afraid. It tempts you to turn inward. And it makes you look at yourself as the solution to your problems. And you tell yourself you need to run, you need to hide, you need to close all your doors. You need to get in your bed. You need to stay in your house. So often depression is linked to sleep. Those who have experienced depression in some form find that their bed is their refuge. They just don't want to get up. They can't. They can't even move their limbs. It's so difficult. And so we think to ourselves, let's cover ourselves. Let's protect ourselves. It happens when we think about our families, 
if you are the type of family who says, I'm going to make sure that my family is safe. And wherever you are, it's all about the safety of your family. We saw and experienced that so much during COVID. It's about the safety of your family more than anything else. Keep your family safe at all costs. And yet, we're never safe. The darkness still reigns. And we can't protect ourselves, our loved ones. When you are sick, very sick perhaps, do you want to reach out to others and say, please pray for me? Do you want to accept their help? When someone says, hey, we'd like to start a meal rotation for you. You've had surgery. Someone, you're in the hospital. You're not able to put makeup on. And someone says, I want to I come and visit you. Are you willing to say, come and visit me, pray for me? No, it's, oh, no, 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 please don't come. You will see me at my worst. And that's the time where we want to hide from the world. We don't want to actually admit we need help. We need support. We have a prayer wall. On that prayer wall, very few prayer requests, very interestingly. Because it's hard to ask for prayer. Because by asking for prayer, you're actually being vulnerable. You're actually opening your life to other people, to strangers. You're opening up yourself to judgment. When you come on Wednesday nights and pray and ask for prayer, you say, I need it. My marriage is struggling. My children are wayward. We don't want that because we don't want to feel judged. We're afraid that we're the only ones going through it. But if there's one thing that we learned for those past few weeks, we as husbands and wives and parents, I think you saw we're all going through the same thing. No one is righteous. No, not one. We are not supposed to go through darkness alone. You can't do it. Actually, if you go through it alone, the darkness gets thicker and darker. It feels more helpless, more hopeless. You feel more ashamed. And your instinct in that darkness is to run and hide, to make sure no one knows your problems. And so we secure our hearts from ever being hurt again, perhaps by a boyfriend or, by, or a girlfriend or an in-law or a spouse. So we become hardened of heart. We guard our hearts like Fort Knox. Maybe you grew up without too much means. Maybe you didn't, you really struggled. Your parents struggled. They worked so hard. And every day you barely had too much to eat. And so you decided I'm never going to let that happen again for myself and my family. And so you don't want to put your, your children into any type of need you're not going to let them work because you're going to say, I worked my whole life. I'm not going to let them work. You know, that type of fear is debilitating. And it is a fear. And the instinct is to think, I can rescue myself. But that type of self-rescue brings you to a greater darkness. If you think about phobias and fears, you have to ask the question, why are, why are we afraid so much? Afraid of so many things. Anyone here afraid of needles? Elevators? Let's do a test. Right afterward, let's see who rides this elevator. And by the way, it's the slowest elevator in the world. So if you want to test who has this fear, go ride our elevator. Some are afraid of dictators. Definitely there's a lot of germophobia. 
bacteria. Some of us don't want to go on missions because you have to put your feet on the ground, your actual bare feet on the ground. <laughs> you have to touch with your hands, and you know all the different germs. You see, Mike, some of you are in the health profession, so you've looked at microscopes and seen germs, and you're, you're looking, oh my, that's disgusting. E. coli and all these other things, and you're saying, gross. So you have germophobia. Some of you are afraid of dentists. Sorry, dentists in this room. <laughs> some of you are f so afraid of wrinkles that every day you're stretching these, you know, like, I, I learned, I learned that you're supposed to put your sunscreen like this. I, I was doing it the wrong way because now, no wonder I have so many wrinkles. Some of you, okay, I have this fear. I'm afraid of baldness and it's happening. And every time I look at a camera screen and it, it just happens to point there, I go, oh. For some of you, you're already there. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you've gotten over the fear. You've had to live with it for a while. Praise God. Some are afraid of growing old, heights, depth, being alone, public speaking, a lot of people. Some of you are afraid school just started. You're afraid to go to that. I, I hate the cafeteria when everyone's there and you, gotta, you're, you have your tray and you got to figure out where am I going to, you know, where am I going to sit? There's so much fear. I could keep on going. It's endless. I appreciate what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, the child of the light, that is a believer of Christ, is sometimes found walking in darkness, but goes on walking. He does not sit down and commiserate with himself, that is, feel sorry for himself, self-pity and hide. That is the thing, the child of light walking in darkness. He does not see the face of the Lord at this point, but he knows he knows that he is there, so he goes on. And I want to really remind you of this truth that he's saying, is that as a believer of Christ, there will be times of darkness. Sometimes you'll feel like the Lord is not there. But in faith, you say, I'm going to get out of my bed. I'm going to go up to this podium and speak. I'm going to go and have a conversation with this person that I don't know, and they might think I'm a fool. I'm going to go into this doctor's office, and even if I hear that the biopsy showed that I have cancer, I will not be afraid. I keep on going, even if I'm not exactly sure of the future, because I know that God is there with me. We refuse to give up. That's what we Christians do. We don't give up. We know that hardship is there. We know trials come. We know the storms rage. But we also know Jesus is in control. We believe Jesus when he says in John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We believe him because he said, you will have trouble. You will have storms. You will face darkness. But don't stop, don't run, don't hide, don't shirk away in fear and shame. Why do you not do so? Because you know he is there. Take heart, I've overcome the world. So that's this darkness. But in the darkness, we see an overcoming savior. How does Jesus teach us to overcome fear and darkness? and bad circumstances, and trials, and suffering that are on the horizon. You can see it. 
Look at what he does. He reminds his disciples that he is God. How does he do it? Verses 19 through 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. So he does something, and he says something. What does he do? He does the impossible. Gravity is supposed to take hold. He's supposed to go down into the water. But he doesn't. To Jesus, there is no storm. To Jesus, there is no darkness. And to Jesus, there's no gravity. He just does what he wants to do because he's God. And because he is God, he is able to say, it is I, do not be afraid. He's speaking, he's demonstrating truth, and he's speaking truth about himself. And then there's a, there's a result to that. Don't be afraid. I'm God. I have you in my hand. I will not let you go. Why does Jesus walk on the water? You know, before he didn't walk on the water, before he was in the boat, big storm rages, and what does he do? He stills the storm to show that he has power over the, the weather, over the winds, over the waves, over the waters. But in this instance, he doesn't still the storm. Instead, he wants to show that he is God in the midst of the storm, that storms will come in your life. And sometimes he doesn't, miraculously dissipate the storm, he allows you to go through it. He could have stilled the storm, but he chose not to. And that's what Jesus does. Sometimes he removes the cancer. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes when he can surely provide a job and you've been waiting for a long time, he does. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you pray, just got married, you've been trying hard to have a baby. Sometimes he opens the womb so that you can have a baby, but sometimes he doesn't. And like Paul, sometimes you can pray for this pain or this suffering or this chronic illness to be removed, and sometimes he doesn't remove it. That's the thing about Jesus is that sometimes there is a storm, sometimes it goes away, and sometimes it doesn't. The darkness still exists. The storms still rage. After waiting decades, perhaps, there's no godly man or woman to marry. There's no baby on the way. There's no job on the horizon. There's no cure to chronic pain. Sometimes the chemo doesn't work. Sometimes the culture seems to be out of control and you don't know how to raise your children in such a culture. And it begs the question, Jesus, are you still there? Are you still with me? Are you still faithful? And you know what Jesus' answer is? He walks on water. He shows you that he is coming to rescue you from your fears while you are still dealing with them, in the middle of dealing with them. The promise is not always you will have no fear. The promise is that I'm with you and I will get you through this. You need not think you need, you're going to do it alone. If you look at Jesus' self-proclamation, it is I, do not be afraid. That statement says so much about how to conquer fear and deal with worry. You can add a therefore in the middle. It is I, therefore, do not be afraid. Our fear and worry is directly linked to our view of Jesus. If we see him simply as 
we've been talking about as, as the Pharisee saw him as a moral teacher, as a rabbi, as someone who is nice, kind, but if he's not God, then get ready to be afraid. Get ready for darkness to cover your heart. But if you see Jesus truly as the Lord of all, as the God who reigns, that he is all-powerful, almighty, then do not be afraid. In our sinful, broken world, you will have trouble. You will still experience pain. You will ex experience suffering. I cannot come here and say, you're not going to experience this. You are. You will. You will experience injustice. But one thing I can say is that if you trust in Christ, he will carry you through those. And when you come through the storm, you will see the Lord in ways that you never saw him before. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139, 11 through 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I love that phrase. Darkness is not dark to you. It's not. You know, when, again, when Jesus is walking on this water in the midst of the darkness in the sea, it's not dark to him. It's light. There's no storm. Nothing. And this is our God. He's telling the disciples, do not be afraid. I know this is here but I promise you I'm going to carry you through this. Again, David in Psalm 23, 4, one of the most cherished verses in all the Bible, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why do we read and say and recite this verse so often at the graveside of those who have died? Because for those who are in Christ, even death cannot take away what fears and sorrows that come. Even death will not overtake this person. Even when we walk through this, we fear no evil. The God of the universe is with us. My friends, darkness tempts you to be afraid. Storms tempt you to be afraid. And in this temptation, you will be accused and you will be tempted to feel so alone as if no one cares. No one can help you. No one can understand you. You feel doomed. You feel hopeless. I want to tell you that is a lie. It's the greatest lie of the enemy. The Lord here is defying nature and Satan and evil to walk on water, to rescue you, to get you, to hold you. He has overcome everything to make sure that you are safe and secure. How do I know this to be true? There's a miracle that John 6 points to later, and it's the ultimate miracle. There was no greater darkness and evil and despair and hopelessness than what Luke describes in Luke 23, 44 to 45. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. Now, I want you to know that the word failed here can be translated as consumed or destroyed. The sun's light was destroyed. The sun was destroyed. 
That's how bleak the situation was. And that's, the translators, they don't want to say the sun was destroyed. That sounds sort of ludicrous. But it's as if the sun was destroyed. Darkness covered the land. It just seemed as though Jesus had lost, Satan had won. And it was the same situation in John 6. The disciples were on their own in the dark storm. Jesus was in the mountainside. The storms raged. They were about to be capsized. They were about to drown. Everything was lost. Then suddenly, actually Luke records that out appeared a ghost. Seemed to be walking on water. And Jesus is there. But that is exactly the same idea and phrase of what happens in the resurrection. In Matthew 28, we're told he appears to his disciples after he rises from the dead and he says, do not be afraid because they all thought he was a ghost. They did, just like the walking on the water. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. My friends, Jesus went to the cross so that Jesus could tell you and me with full assurance According to Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the wonder of our God. He doesn't always, always deliver us from the problem. But he is always there with us. Always there. He never leaves you. Even when you feel as though he's not there, he's there. You are never alone in Christ. Even if No one understands you, not your husband, not your wife, not your mom, not your dad, not your best friend. Even if everyone were to abandon you, he is always faithful to you. He never leaves you. He has overcome sin and Satan and hell so that you would forever know this to be true. So why are you afraid? And what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of our world? Are you afraid of declining health, aging? Are you afraid of and wondering, is Social Security going to be there for you? Is the economy going to be okay? Are you afraid of nuclear weapons, bacteria, a new COVID, a difficult marriage? You're afraid of your children's health, their success, their future, their faith? How do you overcome all of these fears and so many more that I cannot list and the darkness? I love what author, counselor Ed Welch says in response. He says, anxieties and fears need an alternative. They need something bigger and better that will make the provoking events seem insignificant in comparison. Here is something bigger. Here is a conclusion that leads us into the fear of the Lord. While it might look like other forces are winning, they are not. God will be exalted. We will be amazed. You and I, we need an alternative fear. We need something bigger and greater than our fears. We need a savior who is walking on water, who is coming to you and saying, it is I, do not be afraid. I I plead with you to say those words the next time you feel depressed, despairing, anxious, worried, Have other people speak God's word into your heart. We need an infinitely alternative, larger view of God, not of yourself. You try to figure out all of your life's problems, try to figure out all the strategies and plans that will make everything better. You're going to be more worried, 
more dark, more despairing, you actually need a big view of God, of who he is, of what he's done, and what he has promised you. And you know what he's promised? On the new heavens and the new earth, no more tears, no more fears, no more pain, no more worries, no more health problems, no more money problems. Everything that we have in this world, it is nothing. What? How can a grandmother in Burundi or in Malawi or in Mozambique who has four, five, six orphans, barely has anything to eat, freezing at night, and this is the rest of their existence. And if you were to go to Africa and go to some of these places, you'd find, what can you say to such a person? You can't even promise them that you're going to feed them and clothe them every day. You can't. You're not going to give them a shelter. What do you say to that person? Do we have nothing? I tell you, we have everything to say to that person. We have something to share, which is that Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. This is not your end. Even if the rest of your days is like this, for an eternity, there are no more tears. This is the end of it all. And it is that same truth and encouragement and power that we can give to someone who is impoverished and has nothing that feeds our soul. Jesus walked on the water. He gave his life. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death forever so that you can have life for him. Here's the promise that John sees in Revelation 21, 23 to 24. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day. And here's the promise. There will be no night there. No more darkness. Forever joy. Jesus did this. So never think you're alone. That you're despairing. It's hopeless. If you have in your mind, my marriage is on just, it's just teetering. It's on its edge. How can there be any hope? Christ rose from the grave. My child will never turn to Christ. They are so far from him. Christ rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. You know, I have this chronic pain. It's never going to go away. He's going to be there in the midst of the storm. He might heal you, but he might not. But Christ rose from the grave. He's not going to let you go. Do not be afraid. Let's pray together. Father, for those here who have been succumbing to worry and fear, life just seems so hard and so difficult. And there are even unknowns. If we have nothing personally to be afraid of, the problem is, Lord, we're afraid of even not knowing things. We're afraid of the future, afraid of what is to come, afraid of failure. But you said, O oh Lord, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. I conquered sin and death. Do not be afraid. It is I. I gave everything so that you might have life in me. Do not be afraid. O oh Lord, as we take of this bread and this wine, we remember the Lord's death 
and how by doing so, by giving of yourself for us, by taking on the full wrath of God, we have this joy abundantly forever in you. And this is not just here, it's eternally. And that's not just some mythology, it's a promise, a promise of truth. And so Lord, I pray for those perhaps who are struggling with the fog of depression. Help them to see the truth of the light of the gospel. You are the only one who can break through that type of darkness. It's not gonna be ultimately medication or therapy. It's gonna be you, Lord Jesus. You are our only hope. And sometimes that fog doesn't go away, but you promise you will be there in the midst of the fog and the darkness. And for those who are right now experiencing chronic pain, Lord, sometimes you bring healing, but sometimes you do not. But you promise that you will be with us and you will be right by us when we cannot see and we cannot hear and when we have that pain and it will not go away and it's all consuming. When we're struggling with the fact that we don't see perhaps a husband or a wife on the horizon or a baby on the horizon, you promise you'll be with us. And this, oh Lord, is what we stand on, what we place our hope in. So Lord, thank you for the promise of your word. In Jesus' name we pray.